Oh, it's your favorite time of the week. All your work is done, and it's time to relax. So come, grab some friends, and let's get lit and join the rotation. You are now in the rotation with Suncoast Normal. We are your host, your Suncoast Normal Executive Board, and we say it's time to legalize it. Trying to get the OGs, the folks who are legacy, the folks who, who made things happen. Of course, we're, we're passing on to the new generation right now. I mean, we, we lost Eddie Leftis last year. We lost yeah. uh, Jack Hare uh, eight years ago in regards to that is concerned. And, and there's been a lot of cha- turnover and changeover. We had uh, Steve Bloom on last week. He, he was a great guest to talk about all the people who, who got this whole industry started. But what I ha- who I have here now is the, the next generation of the OG, uh, as far as I'm concerned. He, he, he's a sub-boomer, so I don't mind that. Uh, and Jason has a very interesting story in regards to how he happens to be one of the longest-running retailers in the country. Started in California when it was just barely legal, and it was the wild, wild west that was just starting to be tamed. Mm-hmm. Is the wild, wild west tamed back in California yet? I mean, I think it's 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 a it's an ongoing evolution. Uh, so where where does the, you see the evolution right now? How far have we gotten past uh, Prop Two Fifteen that, that made things go as far as it is right now? I think if you look at it as as proposition passage of Proposition Two Fifteen, I kind of use this analogy to paint that as like basically that was the the baby, the birth of the baby for the industry, so to say, and so now it's been you know let's see ninety six. 20, 20 plus years. Yep. So that that's we're, we're like basically um, our industry is basically just old enough to actually consume cannabis and consume alcohol legally. But talk about so, for a minute your evolution into the use of cannabis for, for health reasons and, and why and how what you see happening in California in the future as we continue to evolve. Most definitely. So um, I was born with cerebral palsy and used cannabis to, to treat uh, symptoms that I have from cerebral palsy. Um, and I am the longest continuous retail operator of cannabis in the United States. I started uh, owning dispensaries back in 2001 and started off in San Francisco. I was at 442 8th Street uh, in between Nikki's and the top on, on Haight Street and the corner adjacent was uh, Fillmore. And so that's a pretty popular intersection um, nostalgic intersection uh, from from traditional drug culture uh, through over the years. Is that pretty close to where Burner got started too over there? Um, he is on the upper eight. That's the okay. nicer part of eight. I was on the more hood <laughs> part of eight. Yes. Yes. Um, but no, um, uh, Gil used to come into the store back in the day and he got his start um, with the uh, Hempery uh, over on Geary Street that was run by uh, Kathleen Lemons. And then later he went over to the green door that was ran um, by my buddy Andrew. And so it's been, been an ongoing evolution um, from that stage. But uh, where, where we are today, I mean, it's amazing. We have adult use sales, a uh, very, very growing market in California. We do have a big political problem in the sense that we have given all of the local municipalities, local control. So there is a lot of what you would call desert cities or desert counties even that have zero 
type of cannabis um, access for their general population. And so that that presents a really interesting problem, because when Californians voted for Proposition 64, um, they they all assumed that they would have cannabis easily ready available in their communities or at least in a neighboring community close by. I noticed that when you you went uh, adult use in California and sorry, I can't use the word recreational because. I still hear it being used it's in, terrible. In, in regards to heroin. It's re- Recreational is just not the right word to use with cannabis. I mean, we have a Department of Parks and Recreation. Recreational activities are typically events, things that you do with the family. And so we want to make sure that we're sending a clear and present message that this is for adults. This is adult use. And, and therefore, the word recreational, I feel, just is just attractive to minors. And, of course, the L.A. Sheriff's Office, the, day, the first day you started with, with full adult use in California— a huge campaign get baked get booked yes yes they did they did they did run a campaign but the reality of it is 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 arrests are extremely low in in that department in my in my opinion not to say that they should be higher um but but as far as um in la we have real crime and just smoking weed is not a real crime there's no victim and so we we places where we have real crime this this should should never be the issue so did the Cole memo actually have a difference in regards to how cannabis law um, evolved in the West Coast? You know, it's funny is is people bring up the Cole memo all the time, but I don't I don't think the Cole memo was anything, never did anything, and never protected anybody because the Cole Cole active the Cole memo was a directive. It was not um, there. There was no teeth behind it. It was just saying, hey, you guys should operate like this, and you should do this and that. It wasn't a, a clear anything with any teeth. Um, I was a finance chairman and point person on cannabis policy and messaging for Congressman Rohrabacher, and together we came up with the Rohrabacher Far Amendment, and that is the federal appropriations bill that prohibits the DOJ and DEA from extrapolating federal funds to go after state-licensed cannabis businesses, and that is the single piece of legislation that has allowed the industry to grow to what we all see it as today nationwide. Now, I was not always a fan of Dana Rohrabacher. Old surfer dude, given mm-hmm. that. <laughs> but, and, and we don't we don't have, we don't see eye to eye on everything. But the Rohrbacher uh, Far Amendment, in its various capacities and the way that it was slipped into the law through the various budgets and things mm-hmm. of that sort, really did a lot to secure uh, the, the federal attitude towards uh, cannabis as far yes. as state laws being upheld. Yeah, and you know who was the Speaker of the House the first time that that was um, introduced and passed? Uh, Boehner. John Boehner. Yeah, I used to live in Cincinnati. He, his family owned the bars over at the north of me. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I bumped into him at the children's hospital. He was going around making the rounds. Nice. And nice. Lovely gentleman. I don't know what he's doing right now with acreage. Is he, is he backed out of acreage? Oh, acreage is, is, is a mess. Acreage is a mess. I know let's, let, let's take the positive stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see now. That means we can't talk about MedMen. We can't talk about Aurora. <laughs> I mean, there's probably yeah, about eighty percent of the industry you can't talk about. Yeah, even even Canada has had their problems. Uh, Canada things. is just the, the biggest booth market, biggest booth exporter on the planet. All right, so let's let's talk about booth. I mean, that, that is a topic that that I am concerned about because of the fact that I love craft grows. Mm-hmm. I love the love that goes into craft grows. Me too. I mean, the the the, the, the phyto hunting. And the way that they grow the plant to make certain you've got maximum turpins yes. and, and, and minimum powdery mildew, neem oil, everything else they tend to throw into an Eagle 20, mm-hmm. which was a nice little 
bonus from California. For Eagle 20 has great terps. <laughs> <laughs> I'll knock you through the damn roof. <laughs> I mean, I was a guy who was affected by paraquat back in, in, in 1979. I was Interesting. At the, I was at the, the hash bash in Ann Arbor just to say yeah. hi to that John Sinclair. And they, they passed me a joint, and it, it tasted a little funny, but me and all my buddies were, were coughing up blood that night. Yep. The first, the first time uh, I had ever even heard of paraquat, um, I mean, I, I, I've always sold brown weed in the, in, in the beginning, and even in the early days of the dispensary days, I sold a lot of brown weed uh, as well. And, you know, there's, there's a market for that and people that wanted that. And I had one guy that would come in and buy a quarter pound of Brammer weed every week, and one week he came in. And he tried to tell me that there was paraquat on the on the weed, and I was looked at him like, "What in the hell are you even talking about? Like, what the hell even is that? I had never even heard of it in my life." I'm like, "What are you talking?" He's like, "He's like, it's contaminated." I'm like, "I mean, how come no one else has said anything, and it's only you saying this?" And so we didn't really take him very seriously, but who, you know, God only knows what was in Mexican brick weed back then. Well, I can tell you that uh, we, in the college newspapers. There was an ad taken out by the federal government, and it was almost a half-page ad. It said, do you have paraquat in your weed? Send us a sample with a self-addressed stamped envelope, and we will send you the test results so you know why you can go ahead and smoke the rest of your weed. So they were, None of us fell for that shit. So they were encouraging <laughs> the illegal transport of marijuana back then. Exactly. By post. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I always just was amazed that they were, they were that stupid to think that we would actually fall for that mm -hmm. because I already had an FBI file on myself for being seditious. Yeah. Uh, just because of the fact that I didn't like the guy who was the head of the student government who was just in it just for the, uh, the thing on his resume. Mm -hmm. But I, I was considered seditious and, and, and anarchist. And so I, I, I didn't need anything else in my record. I, I know the feeling. Um, I, I've been raided by the Drug Enforcement Administration three times, uh, once under President Bush, twice under Obama. And... You know, is I, I fought pretty much every single governmental agency that you can find on the federal and state level in California throughout these these, these years of uh, creating this industry. I am still surprised that the Marijuana Elimination Project is still even being funded by the federal government. Yeah. There's still money going out there to go ahead and find crops wherever they are and burn them, even if there's somebody standing right in the middle. Well, I th m most of that most of that is. Um, is 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 illegal grows that are are on like national park lands i think that's where most of that funding is actually going to and these people are devastating these camp areas and rerouting the water and taking away from our natural resources so um i, I i'm actually for that i don't want i don't want our parks to be diminished because uh everybody just wants to have free free rent to trap wow yeah that's kind of like uh the, the old hooch they used to grow in the appalachians yeah <laughs> And uh, always had to kind of hide it underneath the canopy, so to speak. Yeah. And it's it's still out there. Mm -hmm. But we're supposedly transitioning now from those times where you could be raided on a regular basis for any reason. And for some odd reason, a lot of that stuff never got put into uh, the storage. It just got absorbed <laughs> by, by law enforcement. Yeah. I've seen a couple of great videos of the stores being raided in California. And they just grab the stuff and they throw it in the car. I, oh, I, it's, I don't it's think they're bagging or tagging it. It's such a nightmare, bro. It's such a nightmare. And, and and they make such they would make such a mess too, like they would just like they, they would open like fruit cups that were in the refrigerator that were just like staff treats and whatnot and like just throw them on the walls and like for what purpose you know what I mean and you know smashing and they're breaking everything and you know and, and there's absolutely zero recourse you have. So here is California, who who was the first state really to 
the, any kind of a scaled up cannabis program in the medical industry back in 1996. Mm -hmm. And yet there was still a high degree of enforcement at that time. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so 1996, medical cannabis passes in November. Dan Lundgren was the attorney general at the time in California, and he had an emergency meeting with all of the uh, uh, district attorneys throughout the state of California. And the focus of that meeting was not how do we make this law work, but the focus was how do we make this law not exist? And how they did that is because in Proposition 215, illegally licensed you to be able to possess consume and cultivate cannabis the one word that they forgot to leave that they left out of prop 215 and gave the law enforcement kind of the upper hand in this was transportation yeah transportation is, it, is still an issue isn't that i mean yes and no i mean not not in the regulated market i mean it's more of a it's more of a logistical issue and under these extremely high uh, joe biden gas prices it makes it even more um, counterproductive uh, as far as, uh, you know, on the distributor side, but at the same time, that is just the cost that we have to absorb in order to do business and keep the industry trucking along the way it should. Well, here we are at PushCon, which is a convention related to hemp, which was made legal and taken off the schedule in the 2018 Farm Act. Yes. And, uh, and they managed to get their, their, uh, their rules and regulations knocked out practically in about a year. By, by, by contacting all the states, some states got got, a, got uh, rejected. I don't know. I don't know which ones, but uh, most everybody were able to create good laws. And yet, we have a whole industry here that is still having problems with transporting, transporting their hemp across state lines. Well, um, I mean, it shouldn't really be that difficult. I mean, I think probably one of the biggest things is within the testing and a lot of people um, growing hot hemp. Uh, because the reality is you can't just tell a plant, hey, don't grow any stronger than 0.3 THC. You know, like plants don't have ears. They don't listen in that type of a respect. <laughs> so um, I, I think that's probably is probably more of the bigger problem than, than people figuring out how to move it around is figuring out um, what type of remediation practices they need to institute before they actually do transportate, uh, transport hot hemp and then put themselves at serious risk of, of, of felony charges. Now, they put a lot of emphasis on hot hemp, and yet they don't pay a lot of emphasis on the, the uh, custodialship of the samples, how they're sampled, how they're transported, and how long it takes to get to the lab and, I, and how long it sits there can make a big difference because they're not flash freezing the uh, Yeah, there, there, there's, the no, there's no metric. There's no bio track for, uh, for, for, for hemp. It's just plant it, grow, harvest it, sell it. And by the time we get to the lab, sometimes your THC has gone above that 0.3. Yep. Why can't they just bring it up to 0.1 and, 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 and give it all a break? Well, I mean, I think the, the, the reality is, 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 is that the THC number is, is a very arbitrary, arbitrary number and actually doesn't make scientific or legislative sense. The reality of it is that uh, with Mitch McConnell created the Farm Bill, he actually legalized cannabis across the country. All right. And that's why we like to joke and call him marijuana Mitch. But the reality of it is, is that in the Controlled Substances Act, when it refers to the farm bill as cannabis or as hemp, it all has the same definition of cannabis sativa L, meaning it is all the same plant. So the only thing differentiated between a wheat plant and a hemp plant is, is a 0.3 THC 
in, in a final form of, 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 of flowering. And that, that just doesn't make any type of legislative sense. Um, and all it does is provide interesting ways for law enforcement to still be able to get um, their quotas met enforcing on these types of things. Well, speaking of legislation, I mean, since 1970, there has been almost 250 bills that have come out to try to, re- to try to remediate the impact of the uh, Controlled Substance Act, uh, Title II, which of course is what we have to deal with. And uh, I, I see that we have issues about it that are, are continuing on a regular basis, but we have new bills that actually are starting to get some traction, at least in the House, not quite the Senate, although I'm interested to see what you think about the COA and you see if it has the pieces that you think we need to move it forward by combining with the, uh, the bills that are in the, house, in the House and actually getting the conference. Um, so in regards with the, the CAOA, um, C-A-O-A, yeah. C-A-O-A um, I think it is a good start. Um, I actually prefer uh, Nancy Mace's bill um, that she released that uh, Amazon actually endorsed. And, states Reform uh, Act. Yes, States Reform Act. I'm, I'm a, more of a supporter of that. I think that's a more comprehensive piece of legislation. Um, the, the taxes in the CAOA are just erroneous and outrageous. Uh, they are calling for a 15% excise tax on cannabis, and that's scaling up to 25% over five years. And that is a, a, a tax on the raw materials before they go to processing to be created into uh, retail consumer. No, that's final form. That's fi- that's final form. That's a final that's, form. That's okay. a final form tax. Yeah, fi- final form uh, excise tax, fifteen uh, percent. That is just ridiculous, ridiculous. And that you people wonder why in the regulated market why cannabis is so high. Well, I mean, in California, you can go and you can you can be paying in the amount of taxes on your product anywhere from forty to 55% taxes, depending on what jurisdiction you are purchasing in. First of all, we have a state excise tax of 15% in California. However, that is actually a 27% excise tax because it's based off of 80% of the retail value because they use the language called arm's length transaction right. in the in the, the legislation. And so that is what makes your 15% actually 27%. And now they just got rid of the cultivation tax and they're saying that in three years they are going to raise the excise tax to 19%, which we will be over 30% excise tax because they did not remove the language of the arm's length transaction when they removed the cultivation tax, so which they, they, they should have. The cultivation tax. They, 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 they needed they, to. They scaled the other one up. They, they, they had to remove the cultivation tax. The reality of it is this is that cultivation tax is the only cultivation tax in the nation of any industry of anything that is agriculturally produced. I mean, let's be clear. The very first person who ever got arrested for cannabis in the country was arrested for not paying this cultivation tax, three dollars. Well, yeah, that's when they had the tax stamp, right? You had to buy the tax stamp. The tax stamp from the marijuana tax yeah, stamp in nineteen thirty-seven. And then you put a tax stamp on your bag of weed that you would sell, and you could still get arrested for selling that bag of weed. He did not pay the three-dollar tax and was charged two thousand dollars. Yes, in remuneration, couldn't afford it, so he went to jail. Yeah, crazy, right? Little crazy. white farmer. That's, that was the guy that, that was arrested first. Yes. Well, and then they came after you. Well, I think I think actually the first person ever arrested for cannabis was um, Baca and Caldwell case. I think that was the first people ever arrested for cannabis. 
it's, I, I take a, I, I teach a class on cannabis law, and it's interesting how every time that they created a law, they had unintended consequences that really screwed things up. Like for instance, mm-hmm. the first time the tax act went into place, they found out that people who were committing violent acts were getting their sentences lessened because the basis of the law stated that cannabis was making people into violent criminals. Yeah. And so therefore, they, they were not, they had the mens rea situation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like watching Laura Ingram all over again. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, the reality of it is this, is that cannabis does not cause psychosis. If you already are someone who would be vulnerable of, of suffering from psychosis, I mean, you could drink coffee, you could drink soda, that could give you psychosis to people that are already predisposed to this type of condition. And yes, if you are predisposed to this type of condition, you should not use cannabis because cannabis could do that. But the portion of the population that that affects is so minor and so minute, it shouldn't even be a talking point on the news. But it is, and we continue to move forward. So do you see in the near future the SAFE Act moving forward, and you think it's a good thing? The what? The SAFE Act. The well, SAFE Act the in Florida. The, no, the SAFE Act nationally. Are you, are you referring to SAFE Banking? The SAFE Banking Act, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you have to be careful because I am it's a SAFE a... Act, which is, the, I think it's called the Save Our, Save the American uh, Forgotten Equines. <laughs> I am a big supporter of SAFE Banking. I, 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 we need SAFE Banking. Um, it's, it's something that is necessary, not to mention, too, legislatively, it is the thing that is the farthest along in the legislative process. It has the most likelihood of, of having bipartisan support to pass. Yeah, six and, times. And, and, and the reality of it is that all of this infighting that the cannabis industry is doing by not getting behind something that actually can pass and us getting a victory is actually showing that the the cannabis industry is not politically astute enough or mature enough to actually be ready for full legalization. They actually managed to put it into a bill which was not a cannabis bill the last time. Mm-hmm. And it, it was not the straight budget bill. It was the America Competes Act. Yes. Which is basically there to keep ourselves competitive with China, who was the reason we originally had a cannabis law in the first place because they, they had an opium problem and we told them we'd fix it. And they, and they said, but you don't have an opium law in the United States. How you can you tell us that we, we, we need a law? So, and now they're funneling all the fentanyl to our streets. Yeah, exactly right. It's a shame. Now, I, I know a lot of folks who are worried about the, what they think are unintended consequences of have letting the bacon, baking industry take over the funding in regards to cannabis. And and do you see that as, as an issue in regards to, for instance, small businesses, uh, minority businesses who might be redlined by the banks? Uh, I, can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. As, but, as far as the Safe Act is concerned, Safe uh, banking. Yeah, safe banking act. Yes. Yeah, because uh, they're wondering if there's going to be any unintended consequences of the banking industry taking over funding for, say, for instance, small businesses that would be possibly redlined by the banking industry, or, or should it be put all on the, the uh, small business administration? Um, you know, when when, when it comes in in regards with safe banking, one of the re- main reasons I'm a supporter of it is because it's going to give us as small business owners the ability to get into the mainstream financial system as far as accepting credit cards, not having to keep as much cash on on site, making us less uh, less targets by uh, criminal you know criminals that are you know lo- looking to for an opportune act, so to say, um, where where they know that there's high levels of cash. Um, not to mention, too, um, these businesses will be able to re- be able to obtain loans uh, through the banks, which we currently can't do. We have to go and 
uh, capital, uh, you know, raise capital through different types of investors. And a lot of those sometimes are predatory investors. And so it makes for this uh, unsavory business relationship in order that, that that is caused because we don't have safe banking. We can't have access to proper capital to actually grow the industry that any other industry would be able to access. And that would actually allow us to start actually trading more on the larger indexes of Ameri- the American stock no, exchange. No, it will not do that. No. Okay, so so we'll still be stuck with the yet with the CESE with the CSE. The Canadian as, stock exchange. Yes. No one wants to be on the Canadian stock exchange. Everyone knows that's a joke. <laughs> but that's that's where we're trading right now. Yeah, well, the, the reason the reason that we're trading there is because we don't have federal legalization, so that way we can trade on the Nasdaq and the U.S. marketplaces. Mm-hmm. And so you have this this uh, cannibalism of U.S. companies wanting to be public and going and becoming Canadian companies, even though they're operating in the U.S. And now that GDP is counting towards Canada's GDP and not the U.S. GDP, and that's a big problem. It's all a matter of percentages at that point. Correct. In, in the long line. Mm-hmm. So. I guess the, the big question everybody's been asking me, I'll ask you the same one. <clears throat> How long do you think it'll be before we get federal legalization? So people ask me that all the time, and my answer and I'm is, one of them. Is, is I don't care how long it takes. That, to me, does, doesn't matter because every time um, people say this, you're going to say uh, within 10 years. Okay, five years down the line, you're still going to say within 10 years. Okay, (laughs) and and so the the time doesn't matter. What is the most important thing is the how, how that bill is written, how we are allowed to commence in commerce, how we are able um, to deliver our products to consumers, whether or not we have interstate trade, whether or not we are hampered down in a prohibitionist market space um, of of not uh, allowing uh, commerce across state lines. These are all the big, finite, infinite questions that need to be hashed out in the final bill. This is one of the main reasons why I support the States Reform Act is because that would allow for interstate trade. I believe that that's what the industry needs in order to be able to scale and be more cost productive, not to mention California is the largest brand name in cannabis in the entire world. And so when you think about it, cannabis has California has been providing close to 80 percent of the world's cannabis for the last 80 years. And so um, it is the one of the largest exports that we will be able to have as well under a federal um, federal legalization bill. And by the way, having California in your name or close to it doesn't help. Just ask the folks over at California. Who's <laughs> they, 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 they crashed and burned. I've never heard of them. It's a matter of a following the money it happened over here that's probably why i've never heard of them because they didn't do anything well i told i told folks at the very beginning when they're writing the laws you have to follow the money to find out where the origin is i agree with that follow the money i'm a big supporter of that okay big supporter jason beck i want to thank you for, for stopping by here today over here at, at, at uh Kushkan. i wish you a safe trip back to, to los angeles and all the new shows coming up where yes, are you going to be next um i'm going to go uh you know hang out with some friends you know, do what I do, smoke the best weed in the world, and, you know, enjoy Florida because it's beautiful weather out here. Um, I love coming to Florida. I love I love the people out here in Florida, and I can't wait uh, to be uh, to be part of some type of operation that is really kicking ass and taking numbers out here in Florida. And, of course, every day at noon, I stop everything that I'm doing to go ahead and, and listen to the State of Cannabis Hour. Oh, on, thank you. On Club Loft because no, no, no. We are on Twitter Spaces now. Oh, you're on Twitter Spaces. Now? We are okay. on Twitter Spaces um, every day. I just click the damn we, link that comes. And we in. A, we actually are changing the name. We are now going to be known as High at Nine. 
news. That's right, everybody. High but, but, but at nine the East news. Coast? Well, that well now you know why it works for the East Coast too, because in the East Coast, when it's nine a.m. on the West Coast, it is high noon on the East Coast. So it all works with getting high. Makes sense. Yes. Say hi to Rico and Susan, everybody, for me. I will definitely, without a doubt. Um, but we will be on Twitter Spaces. You can find me at Jason Beck 420 um, on Twitter as well as on Instagram. And make sure that you turn in to the High at Nine News Show, one full hour of all of the most recent, relevant cannabis news that you need to know about with in-depth discussions from industry insiders. Great source of news. Jason, nice seeing you. Thank you so much, Gary, for having me. I really right. appreciate it, man. This is awesome. Love the work that you do out here in Florida and keep kicking ass. We appreciate all the stuff you right. do. Right, you know I'm watching you. Yes, right. All right. That's right. You Take know, care. baby. Always. Let me get out of your way so you can, you can move forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This has been The Rotation, and you have been a part of it. You can be a bigger part of it by joining Suncoast Normal. Suncoast Normal is an organization that can help you make the change that we all need. Go to the Suncoast Normal website and become a member, because that is how you become part of of the change you can find the rotation podcast on both soundcloud and itunes but you can always join us in the rotation at suncoastnormal.org at that very website you can join the cannabis movement by becoming a member of suncoast normal gain access to cannabis events cannabis info normal's legal network and even a free membership to national all by joining suncoast normal that website again is suncoast norml.org you can also find us on social media at suncoast normal uh, find us on both facebook twitter instagram and youtube and thank you gary and good night good night